An eventful day two of the 2023 NFL Draft is officially in the books with the Seahawks adding an edge rusher and a running back. Nick Lee and I will be breaking down those picks, plus a trade out of the third round on a jam-packed Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined for our day two recap here by my co-host Nick Lee and a special thanks to all the 12s hanging with us here late into the Friday evening. That's what happens when you are in draft season. Very busy day for the Seahawks. They didn't make as many picks as they were expected to today. We'll be diving into that plus the two selections that John Schneider and Pete Carroll made in the second round. This episode is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager and managing your football franchise, then this game is definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the App Store. Let's get to talking NFL draft here, Nick, because it was an eventful day for the Seattle Seahawks. They were scheduled to make three selections today in the second and third round. And everybody was expecting they were going to be filling the trenches, their major needs on the offensive line, center and guard, as well as obviously the big one at defensive tackle, only three healthy players at that roster spot. But as it turns out, Nick, uh, they continue to zig while everybody else is zagging and they're picking the best player available. And with their 37th pick, they decided to address their pass rush with Derek Hall from Auburn. Yeah, you knew that eventually that they were going to start. Well, I don't know if, you know, yeah, it still kind of was a zig instead of a zag, but you you knew in your heart of hearts they were going to address you know, the defensive line at some point in the pass rush. And Derek Hall certainly fits that bill. And I, I appreciate the fact that what I, what I really like about him, yeah, he's got all the traits you want and stuff like that. But he was productive at Auburn. Too many times you read about like, oh, yeah, these guys – you know, he's got all the tools to be an NFL guy, all the tools to be a pro bowler. Just got to put it together, you know, but then you look at his stats in college and he's got like three sacks in two years or something like that, you know. Um, but with him, he had 15 and a half sacks and 24 tackles for loss his last two years alone at Auburn, facing quality NFL linemen every week in the SEC. So very, very productive uh, defensive uh, defensive end for for Auburn there in, in, in Hall. So, yeah, he's got the traits. He's got the athleticism at the 4.5 speed with 34-plus-inch arms, all that stuff. Um, and it, certainly there's not a pantry of those guys in the back <laughs> that you can just draw from. Those guys are pretty rare, but at the same time, he's also been very productive. So I think they got the best of both worlds there. Yeah, you're talking about a defensive and outside linebacker type that's in that 250 to 260 range, ran in the low 4.5. So he's an explosive athlete and has a track background. So it's understandable why he's got that quick first step to burst off the line of scrimmage. And when I watched Auburn, there were a couple players that I was looking at, Colby Wooden being another one in the interior that I watched closely. We're talking a lot of blue chip caliber players, but I couldn't keep my eyes off of Hall just because of the effort that he plays with. John Schneider and Pete Carroll mentioned that multiple times today 
after the third round concluded and they were talking with reporters about the two draft picks that they made that that's really what jumps out to you look at the fact that he had 24 tackles for loss some of that was his ability to penetrate some of it was that quick first step but a lot of it as schneider said was that this guy gets into the backfield because of his effort and he is a relentless motor guy. He played more than 80% of Auburn's defensive snaps last year, Nick. That's the kind of guy the Seahawks are wanting who loves the game, is tough, powerful, has the ability to win inside. And when he is gap sound, he is a pretty solid run defender as well. We know Seattle needs all the help they can get in that regard. So there's a lot to like about this kid as far as things that stood out to me from a negative standpoint. He is not a refined pass rusher. And what I mean by that, he is really kind of a one-trick pony for the most part right now. He is going to win turning speed to power. And it's a very good trick that usually translates well to the NFL for a guy with the speed that he brings. But it'd be nice to see him have a developed swim move or a better rip move or one arm, a long arm move, something that he could identify as a counter that he could consistently use off of his power rushes because in the NFL you're not going to be able to win most of the time with just one pass rush there have been exceptions to that rule but that would be the area that I think he's got to develop the most I also don't see a guy that's natural dropping into coverage and playing in a 3-4 scheme the Seahawks going to ask him to do that sometimes he did have an interception last year so it's not as if there haven't been some bright spots but it just looks like he's not as comfortable doing that maybe in time that's something that will change but this is your typical get downfield and win with speed, turn to power pass rusher that also can be a weapon on stunts, slanting hard inside, looping back inside. Gives you a lot of flexibility, and the run defense is certainly intriguing. It's something John Schneider and Pete Carroll were pointing out a lot tonight after the draft concluded. Right, and as far as his fit, you know, I think there's an argument can be made that he's probably your second, at worst, third best outside edge defender when you talk about Uchenna Nwosu, then you know throw him and Daryl Taylor in the mix. I know Boye Mafia uh, underwhelmed at times as well uh, last year, but that's a solid quartet, I'd say. Um, young, um, you know, Uchenna Nwosu also was, was just a revelation last year. So when you get Derek Hall into that mix, uh, I think that that's a good recipe. I think that's that's some good ingredients in there. Now you just got to mix it up, hopefully comes out with a couple digit double digit sack guys and some some production from those from those four you know the, the main edge rushers that come to your mind yeah i think they've got a really nice array of edge guys now that offer some different traits now pete carroll said today that daryl taylor looks the best they've seen him maybe the strongest they've seen him that would be a big deal if you can get better run defense out of him to go with the pass rushing contributions but but he is a twitchy guy that's going to win with his speed as a rusher. Derek Hall is going to turn that speed into power and he's going to physically come after the tackles that are trying to block him. So you're talking about two totally different style players. Boy, Mafe is closer to being what Derek Hall is, where he's going to win with power a lot of the time. And there's similar builds, similar run defenders. That should be exciting to Seattle because Mafe was one of the few bright spots in that regard. And, uh, of course, Lieutenant Nuosu last year, he was one of the stars of this team, one of the best free agent signings that Seattle's made. So that quartet of players, and you could add a player like Tyreek Smith or Allen Robinson to the mix too, they have to be feeling pretty good about the array of players that they have there. 
at the same time, they're at some point going to have to find some defensive tackles that can take some pressure off those guys and make it a little easier for the edge rush to get home. And they haven't done that to this point because their other second round selections we'll be talking about here in a moment on our Blue Friday episode. There were a few guys that the Seahawks had some interest in that ended up going off the board before they were back up at 52nd overall. Some situations that ended up changing the way that they handled this draft. And there was a running back they were intrigued by. So we're going to get to what Zach Charbonnet brings to the table for the Seahawks as a one-two punch to go with Ken Walker. The third will be discussing UCLA's running back plus a trade in the third round, moving completely out of the third round with a familiar trade partner on the one a little over one year anniversary of the Russell Wilson trade, which by the way has come to complete conclusion now. We know which players the Seahawks have. So it's interesting that the Seahawks and Broncos uh, struck a trade today. We'll be breaking down that deal coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. If you listen to our podcast regularly, you know how much I love the mobile game, Ultimate Football GM. And if you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL general manager and managing your football franchise, your dream can come true. This game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for everything from hiring the right coaches and coordinators to trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft and all the ups and downs of the season. All this in a challenging and realistic game world. If you want to give John Schneider a run for his money running your own team and certainly do a better job than what I've done with the Honolulu Sharks, this is the way to go. Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play in the go as you want and when you want to. It's a blast, and our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked on Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to the franchise using the promo code Locked On in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. Download the game by going to ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com. Ultimate Football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for tonight's show by Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. To all our everydayers out there, when we return on Monday, I'll be podcasting from warm and sunny Hawaii going on my honeymoon a little over a little under a year after my wedding finally getting to do that post draft i think i'll have earned it with the work that we put in this week with the draft but nonetheless we'll be breaking down all the selections for the seahawks and taking a look at some of the undrafted players reportedly set to join the seahawks as well so make sure that you're listening in on monday with our next episode the first one that we have post draft We're now done with two days of the 2023 NFL Draft, Nick. We just broke down the first selection Seattle had in the second round. Derek Hall, the aggressive, high-motor defensive end outside linebacker from Auburn. He's joining Daryl Taylor, Lieutenant Nwosu, and company to form a pretty formidable edge-rushing group for the Seahawks. They've invested some high picks there as well with Boye Mafe last year in the second round, and now Derek Hall in the second round. The other position that they have not been afraid to use high picks on in recent years, much of the dismay of Seahawks Twitter, most of Seahawks Twitter, has been the running back position. We saw Ken Walker the third last year, runner-up as the Offensive Rookie of the Year, so that pick worked out pretty well for the Seahawks. They decided to go down the running back well again in round two today, 
pick number 52, Zach Charbonnet, a player that John Snyder said they were worried wasn't even going to be there when they're on the clock at 52 with how early the first two running backs went in the first round. Jameer Gibbs going at pick 12. So they go with Zach Charbonnet, the West Coast guy, went back to UCLA, his home state in California, and the last two years over 1,100 rushing yards each of those seasons and a boatload of touchdowns. A really intriguing fit to go with Ken Walker the third, Nick. Well, yeah, hopefully he ages like in fine Chardonnay as well. Um, I throw that in there, of course. Um, I, and again, I, I, I'll take a step back here. And I, I agree that running back was a big need and still, you know, arguably is at some point with, with how, you know, the, the room is a little bit top heavy now. I, I think they would do well to add one more, whether that be, you know, in scrap heap free agency or what have you, undrafted free agents. Um, However, the supply of interior offensive linemen and interior defensive line, the supply is a bit more dire than the supply of running backs and the scarcity of resources, that kind of thing. I I thought this was a really good running back draft, and I think Chardonnay, Chardonnay, here we go, Charbonnet um, is uh, is one of the better ones. And and I think that he was really, you know, one of the better running backs of of, of this draft. You know, you have that, you know, the top tier, obviously, that Gibbs and the and the John Robinson, but he's probably in that next tier. And I think he really was a fantastic running back. And I would have preferred, you know, they pick a guy like John Michael Smith, who went off the board not too long after uh, Cyrus Torrance, Byron Young, the defensive tackle. Um, some guys that I'm going to probably watch um, as their careers unfold, much like Seahawks fans have done with, you know, Creed Humphrey and those guys. Um, I, I'm going to maybe, hopefully not bitter, hopefully it's it's a win-win with Charbonnet. And talk about production, Corbin. You know, Charbonnet is it, he's got it. He had two back-to-back years of over 1,100 rushing yards, 27 total rushing touchdowns. The last two years led the nation last year in all-purpose yards per game, and was a first-team All-American in all-purpose in all-purpose category. And with just his physical traits, I know you'll like this. Um, I've just been reading a few comparisons. He's got some AJ Dillon vibes, which um, with some overall size and physicality with with a few other traits, I think that would be a great fit with also what Ken Walker brings. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily – I think from a playing style standpoint, you could see some A.J. Dillon in his game, but he's only 214 pounds. It's not like he's a 245-plus pound back that runs in the low four fives like what A.J. Dillon did. But you see the similarities from a playing style standpoint. This guy runs kind of upright, which normally doesn't lend itself for being a guy that breaks a lot of tackles, but that is not the case with Charbonnet. This guy just bounces off of defenders, loves to lower his shoulder. He is a true between-the-tackles runner, which the Seahawks don't have on their roster right now. Uh, DJ Dallas can have his moments, but that's not necessarily his game either. And Ken Walker the third. He can be effective running between the tackles, and he can bowl through guys occasionally, but that is not the biggest strength of his game either. They needed a back that could truly complement Walker, who's more known for his elusiveness and his explosiveness. They needed a guy that could really get downhill that can complement him, and that's what Zach Charbonnet provides you, a guy that has been a workhorse, has had a ton of carries in Chip Kelly's offense the last couple of seasons, has put up big numbers. The other thing I'm really excited about with this kid, he averaged almost 4.2 yards per carry last year after contact, which was among the top five in college football, according to Pro Football Focus. So this guy consistently bowls through tacklers. When guys are wrapped up around him, he takes them for a ride to get extra yards. 
they needed that kind of a back. They really haven't had that kind of a player now since Chris Carson was forced to retire due to his neck injury. And so I could see Charbonnet being a similar player. He's not exactly Chris Carson in terms of being a copy or a prototype type thing, but he's certainly got some attributes that are Chris Carson-like. And so you add in the fact that he had 61 catches the last two years. He has really improved as a receiver. His pass protection has been more hit and miss, but there has been some steady improvement in that regard too. He has a chance to be that rare blend of being a downhill power back that also is your third down back. And there's a few other guys in the league that have done that, but it's an interesting blend of talents that I think really does go well with what Ken Walker the third brings you as that home run hitting starting running back. And I think both these guys are going to get a ton of carries in this offense. Yeah, just something that came to mind a little bit, and this might be a reach, but it's got a little bit of uh, Reggie Bush, Lindell White at USC with Pete Carroll there. Um, I, I know there might be a little bit different game, but just the dynamics and the two differences in the games that those two running backs brought to USC when Pete Carroll's heyday there. Um, and because I think they complement each other, like like we've been saying. So they definitely got RB1, RB2 now. Check. Check it off the list. Charbonnet is absolutely worthy of being right there with Ken Walker as, as getting his fair share of carries. And um, He's got that frame. He's got that body that I think – can withstand an NFL workload. And so I think it's going to be, that's a really, really nice pair. I'm not saying, you know, one of the best pairs in the league quite yet, um, but a very, very respectable uh, duo at running back for the Seahawks. With, uh, with the fact that they have used second round picks two years in a row, it better be one of the best combinations in the backfield of the NFL, because that in today's day and age, that is premium picks that are being used on running backs. And we talked about this, leading up to the draft, it was a more significant need than people realize because running backs break down so easily. There's such a high injury attrition rate at that position that you can't go into your offseason program with just two running backs. And especially with the injuries that the Seahawks have had the last five or six years, I mean, really since Marshawn Lynch left Seattle the first time, they have not been able to find that workhorse that's been able to consistently stay healthy. Carson certainly had his issues staying on the field, and unfortunately those injuries led to his career ending shorter than he would have liked. But the point is they couldn't go into the offseason with that few of running backs back there. They'd like to have five or six during their offseason program, and so this puts another really dynamic ball carrier with Ken Walker III. Not identical players. They have some different strengths that should work well off one another, but they want to get back to running the football, and to be able to do that, you got to have multiple backs that you are confident in, and they like DJ Dallas too, but they certainly needed a talented player to add with Walker. Charbonnet is going to give him that. He also can play special teams, which is going to be important early on in his career as well. So you can nitpick with this pick with the fact that maybe they could have gone with a defensive tackle or a center, as you mentioned, but they felt like if they didn't take Charbonnet at 52, they didn't expect him to be there to begin with. If they didn't take him there, they weren't going to get that running back that they valued. And, and they really want to see what he and Ken Walker III can do together. Now that we are done with the first two days of the draft, this is, as John Schneider said, it's been as random of a draft as what he has seen. There's been a lot of really strange picks this year in the first three rounds. And I'm not sure if it's just uh, indicative of what the class is viewed as or if you know the COVID situations and older prospects played into this as well but again he said it was as random as any that he has had and so 
we're going to be going into day three talking about some really good prospects that are still on the board. We're going to get to our best players available heading into the fourth round coming up next year on our post day two edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories, then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built Bars, you got to try them. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but don't want to compromise on taste, Built Bars are just the thing for you. Covered in 100% real chocolate with incredible flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros, such as only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait to get a box at your house. You can go to Walmart or your local Sam's Club to get your specialty flavors. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Go to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. And if you're near a Sam's Club, you can get a 13-bar box with their flavors such as brownie, batter puff, and churro puff. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks post day two of the 2023 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by Nick Lee. We've broken down a couple of the draft picks that were made today. Seattle did not take all three of their scheduled selections. They did trade down with the Denver Broncos. And before we get to the best players available, I will just say this, Nick. I First off, I was surprised that George Payton still had John Schneider's number in his phone. And not just that, that they were able to work out a deal that I can see why John Schneider jumped at this one because the Broncos to move up from 108 to 83, they gave up pick 108 and a third round pick in next year's draft. That is a King's ransom to slide up from a fourth round pick to a late third round pick to select a cornerback in Riley Moss, a player that I like, but it feels like John Schneider again got the better of George Payton here. Yeah, I mean, what else is new? <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you, you, at the mo in the moment, it's. I get why the trade was made. You know, on paper, the trade is a good trade, a really good trade for the Seahawks, and. It's for I couldn't help but feel like it killed the mood a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, the, the Seahawks, it you know, that meme where it's like the, the it's the drawing of the horse and it goes from like this beautiful, detailed, you know, wonderful head and then it's kind of like kind of deteriorates and the back turns into like something my four year old son would draw. And <laughs> kind of what the like the hype of this draft went for the Seahawks I and mean, started out really strong with the first two picks in the draft and you know, Derek Hall and then it kind of. You know, Chardonnay, Chardonnay, there was a little bit of, you know, who was on the board, and then that trade was kind of the back end there. Um, again, the trade itself on paper is is a win for the Seahawks, a third-round pick. And, you know, fans, you know, were so short-sighted. Um, but I think looking at next year when we look back at this trade, um, I think the Seahawks and, and their fans will agree that they, they came out on, on the good end of this, hopefully. But um, just for me, I immediately go to what, what happened next. And unfortunately, as soon as they swing that trade, Corbin, four inside linebackers, three defensive tackles, and a center went off the board between 83 and the end of the second round. So, or end of the end of the round. So um, that that was a that, that was a little bit of a mood killer for me. But it, it, I'm kind of torn because I, I I get the I get the pick 
or the, the trade. I get the value there, but seeing what, what happened afterwards and all those players that we had mocked for so long to the Seahawks and all those needs, all those linebackers, all those defensive tackles, that center, that was a little disheartening. Yeah, it's kind of tough because on one hand, as you mentioned, it did feel like, you know, there was so much anticipation mounting. Hey, Seattle's got three picks to take advantage of a class that's got several position groups that have pretty good depth. They're going to get three selections today and to not just trade down, but trade completely out of the third round. For fans, that does create a bit of a buzzkill because you're, you're looking forward to that. If they still would have picked in the third round, then maybe fans look at it a little bit differently. But you go from having three picks to suddenly only having two. Now, they're going to get six tomorrow, but there's just not as much excitement with that fourth-round pick. But as I said, when you're looking towards the future, and obviously for us on this podcast, we understand that the draft has to be viewed from a lens beyond just this year. And Schneider was point-blank honest about it. They are excited about next year's draft class, and there's a lot to be excited about with that group next year. So the opportunity to get a third-round pick, a day-two selection next year, that was one that John Schneider was not going to be able to pass up. So this is certainly one you could look at from both sides. For me personally, I, I like the value getting that third-round pick next year back to give up a third-rounder here just to move back to 108. You still might have a chance to get a player that you had on your board there at pick number 83. But as you mentioned, there's also some players that we're going to be looking at here in a second that maybe could have been Seahawks at pick number 83 that are still here on the board. Nick, let's talk best players available. And there's going to be a few names that jump out here. I have some thoughts on a few of these guys, but I know you specifically have a few players on the board still that you are looking at thinking if they're there at 108, the Seahawks absolutely have to pounce. Um, yeah, I've been saying this since uh, the, the final whistle of the uh, the offseason or the final whistle of that, that uh, playoff game. The Seahawks need a center. And they have openly passed on a few centers in this draft already. And Luke Whipler is still there, the Ohio State center. Now he's not the consensus number one or even number two center in this draft. I think both. I think we all can agree that was John Michael Schmitz and Joe Tipman. Um, but I think he's in that pretty much that next tier. He he might not be as quite plug and play. Um, but Luke Whipler for me is it, he's he's on my. If the Seahawks don't take him, I'm probably going to be pretty grumpy list. <laughs> um, whatever you want to call that list for yourself. Um, Luke Whipler's on that for me. And, and if he falls to 123, great. Then take him then. Um, and uh, Adabari, of course, is on there too. And, you know, we there's there's various reasons why he could be falling. Um, and uh, Defensive. I think it, we can all agree. It's interior offensive line and interior defensive line and linebacker, I think, are the three ones that I think most fans and, and everyone wants wants them to hit. Henry To'o, To'o, the linebacker out of Alabama. Chandler Zavala and uh, Braden Daniels is are two of the uh, interior linemen I'm thinking about. Colby Wooden is, a, is an interior defensive lineman I really like out of Auburn. That would be kind of cool to pair him with Derek Hall as well. So um, a, a few guys there. Noah Sewell is another one. And uh, and I do want to throw in one more. Not at 108, <laughs> um, but you know somewhere down the line, Jaron Hall. Quarterback from BYU. Insert eye roll. I don't care. Um, he, I'm not saying he's going to, you know, overthrow Geno Smith, but I just like the fit. He's a super mature. He's married with a kid, first of all, of course, you know BYU. Um, but he's just he's he goes from you know the first being the first black starting quarterback at BYU to being this very mature, you know, former baseball player. I mean, he's he's got 
up here, he is just so solid. And then a very quarterback friendly system at BYU, a very similar system, you know, that, uh, that the Seahawks want to run and just mature. He's got a baseball talent arm and he's got some athletic traits. I really like him as, as, you know, a perennial backup, maybe fringe starter in the NFL. So I think that would be really selfishly a fun fit for me later on. But of course, get the interior trenches figured out, please. Yeah, I think a lot of fans are in panic mode right now because you've had four selections and not a single one has been the interior offensive line or interior defensive line. And I don't think anybody saw that coming. That's really the surprise here. I wasn't surprised that Devin Witherspoon was picked at number five and Jackson Smith and Jigba was a player that was linked to the Seahawks. But if you're going to pick those players on day one, you're thinking that day two, they've absolutely got to go with defensive tackles and maybe get a center or a guard. And they didn't do either one of those things today. Now, my list has some similar players. I've got a few guys on here that are a little different than you as far as best players available. But I've got to start with Atatamiwa Atabare from Northwestern. And anyone who's listened to this show knows that he was a first-round grade for me going into this draft, not just because of the athleticism that he put on display in Indianapolis. I mean, he ran a 4-4-9 40-yard dash at 282 pounds, but this guy's a darn good football player, too. This is not an unpolished freak athlete. He started a bunch of games at Northwestern. He can play three-tech, four-eye. He can play five-tech. He can even stand up as an outside linebacker with the athleticism that he has. He's a stout run defender. He can get after the quarterback. Maybe he didn't have the gaudiest sack numbers. My point is this is not an unpolished football player. This is a guy that has a lot of room to get better, but he's still a very sound player in the Big Ten with those athletic traits, and that leaves me to wonder, is there something medical going on? Because I I just can't see the Seahawks of all teams with that type of an athlete, with that background. I can't see them bypassing him unless he is on their medical list and it's a possibility and i'm not saying that as a report Uh, i'm just thinking outside the box right now it just doesn't make sense to me that we're going into round four and atabare has yet to be picked with those traits and the athleticism the experience he brings to the table so he is clearly number one for me but that's without knowing if there's a medical situation that is leading to this free fall in the draft as far as other players that jump out to me I know safety is not a huge area of concern for the Seahawks, but J.L. Skinner, 6'4", Cam Chancellor light type player who has good ball skills, can smack people. He's a player on day three coming off an injury that maybe you can get some really good value for a player that could be a future starter. I've got Whipler on my list as well as Olu Oluwatomi from Michigan. Those would be the two center prospects that I have eyes on. I think if you let those two slip through – Good luck finding a long-term starting center in this draft class. There's a big dive there from those two to the rest of this class. John Gaines, the guard from UCLA, we've talked about him extensively, Rob Rang and I, on this show because he put up great testing numbers. He has started games at both guard spots at center and tackle. So he's one of those rare, really versatile players that I think he plays inside at guard in the NFL, but He's got some really intriguing athletic traits for a zone-blocking scheme like what Seattle runs. And the last guy on my list, Moro Ojimo from Texas. you got to get yourself a defensive tackle at some point here. And Ojimo is 
85, 290 pounds. He's not the biggest guy, but he plays bigger than that. Watch the film against Alabama this year and how he took over the line of scrimmage. He is probably, aside from Atabare, assuming that he's healthy and there aren't medical concerns, Ojimo is probably number two right now on my big board for defensive tackles. And maybe Colby Wooden after that and other Auburn players you mentioned teaming him up with Derek Hall in the NFL. After that, there is another one of those big drop downs. And this defensive tackle group didn't have a ton of depth to begin with. You saw some players that weren't expected to go on day two that went like Broderick Martin from Western Kentucky was drafted late in the third round. So the number of big body nose tackles is next to none remaining on the board. And there's just not a lot of your pure three tech guys that are available that are going to be able to come in and make a difference. And so that is the risk here for Seattle with the way that they've handled this draft, picking the best player available. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny because we get so excited about the draft, and we feel we felt so good about the Seahawks, you know, position, and, and they we still should. Um, but it's it's almost like fans expect them to have twenty picks per round, you know, like oh we didn't get this guy, and this guy, and this guy, and this guy, this guy, and this guy's still. Working. That's kind of the how the draft goes, and I'm trying to process this myself. Like yes, you know, the, their interior line is, is still a mess, and. But you address that several times, and next thing you know, boom! Now you don't have a lot of edge guys. You you don't have linebackers. Your your running back room's still empty. I mean, that's kind of the beauty and uh, you know the, the the perils of an NFL draft. And uh, of course, I, I did I, I alluded to that picture meme with you know the, the horse thing. That picture isn't done yet because we still have one more day. So I think that we, we do need to take a little bit of a deep breath, myself included, um, to you know let this process you know that the whole like draft day like. After today, you can fire me, but wait, you know, like the, the Kevin Costner, like the day is not done yet um, as far as the draft. So let's all take a deep breath. I know it, it's gone a little bit. It started out great, and I think the wheels got a little wobbly there towards the end for Seahawks fans, but um, we're still on the tracks, and it's, it's not over yet. Plenty of, of plenty of excitement to come tomorrow, hopefully. And we know that day three is where John Schneider has cut his teeth as general manager, and he did it last year with players like Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. So – there's a great chance for him to do it again here. And maybe there's a defensive tackle we haven't been talking about a lot, um, like Roy from LSU, for example. Maybe that's a player that they bring in that ends up being a better NFL player than a college player. And the brilliance of John Schneider and Pete Carroll shines through again. So uh, patience is certainly something that has to be exercised. And nobody knows what any of these draft picks are going to do until a year or two down the road. Th that's the fact here. You know, we're not going to know how these players, Seattle's loving the class they got right now, but nobody knows how those guys are going to play when they get to Sundays. And it's the same thing for all 31 other teams. And so it's easy for fans to get in an uproar. We should have picked this guy, whatever. But, you know, you got to trust the process, especially when you got a GM like John Schneider, who has had so many really solid drafts. There's been some duds in there as well. Even the best ones have that issue. But, Certainly he has earned, especially after how last year went, he has earned the benefit of the doubt, as is Pete Carroll. So we'll have to see what happens when we get to round four tomorrow. The Seahawks will have six selections. I'm going to have a post-show after the occasion looking at all six picks and maybe seven or eight. We'll see what John Schneider ends up doing. But as we've done throughout this draft, there will be a post-show, and I'll be breaking down those selections 
for all of our listeners. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbett Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Subscribe and follow Locked On Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Again, tomorrow, get ready for a post-day three episode, maybe some discussion on some undrafted free agents, and we'll dive deeper into that on Monday when Rob Rang rejoins me. Tons coming up here as we get closer to the offseason program and eventually the 2023 season. Everybody enjoy the rest of your Friday night. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.